But we all have these things called brains that we kind of like go left and right on, and then we kind of figure out what we want it to mean. And I remember a week ago, I was reading about Jeroboam in the Bible, and he said that the bad thing that was said about him is he said, we like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, not so much of this, maybe a little bit more of that. And what we end up having is a religion of our own making. Because we don't want it all, we just want some of it. We don't want the parts that convict, we want the parts that encourage. Well, the, the whole counsel of God does it all, right? And so we have to take it all. So, But part of being irrevocably committed to each other is that means I don't always get my way, right? I want my way, but I don't always get my way. I mean, I want my opinion to be heard, I want my preferences to be noted, I want my feelings to be understood, and I want you to change your life and what you're doing as a result of how I feel. The church is not a democracy. It's a theology that we run by God. And yes, I realize that humans get in the way sometimes, don't we? We. You too, though. We. We all get in the way of sometimes doing what God wants us to do. We're trying. But the reality is, it's not a democracy. It's a theology run by God. And then he says, relentlessly dedicated to reaching those outside God's family. I think this is kind of sometimes where the, where the, where the chain of command just kind of like fades away. You can say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm radically devoted to God. I'm committed to my fellow church, uh, churchgoer that's next to me who's part of my fan, church family. But are we dedicated to reaching those outside? Not so much. But he said, if these things were true, it would be a church against the gates of hell could not prevail. Amen? That would be an incredible thing uh, to behold. Once in a while, I think it might be nice to take a step back in time. Anybody ever thought about that? What would it look like to take a step in time, back in time? But here's the angle that I want to present it from. Uh, where people weren't, uh, weren't all consumed with personal rights, personal opinions, personal agendas. Boy, wouldn't that be a neat thing to step back in that time? When I didn't have my rights, my opinions, my agenda. There's nothing wrong with rights. There's nothing wrong with opinions and agendas in and of themselves. The problem comes, however, when my becomes greater than thy. That's where the problem comes. The problem has always been wrapped around a my rather than thy. That's when the problem comes. That's when the problem comes in our personal lives. That's when the problem comes into our church lives. That's when problems come into our work lives. That's when problems come into our relationship lives. It always comes when it's more about me than anyone else. And as we said many times before, God loves unity and harmony within His church. He not only loves it, but He modeled it through His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, leave your finger there in Acts chapter 4, but I want to just read a, read a passage for you real quickly. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it for you. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also hath highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reality is this. 
Jesus Christ modeled what it meant to live a humble life. He humbled Himself. Can you imagine just for a moment, leaving the splendor of heaven, giving up everything that heaven has to offer to be born as a human, to come down to this earth, and to take on the limitations of the flesh so that He could live as a man, be sinless, be guiltless, and to die on a cross to give His life a sacrifice and a ransom for your and my sin. He did that because He loved us that much. And He modeled humility in that way. But He also says at the end of that passage that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Think about that just for a moment. There is going to be a day when at the name of Jesus, every person's knee will bow to that name. In fact, that's what He said back there in in, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It is only in the name of Jesus Christ. So as we look at this passage that we're about to go through, I'm just going to read it very quickly, verses 32 through 37, and then we're going to notice very few things about the story as we apply it to our hearts and our lives this morning. Verse 32 says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, And not one was saying that any of his possessions was his own. But for them, everything was common. And with great power, the apostles were bearing witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. And lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of the Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means sons of encouragement, and who owned a field, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So notice the church being the church. And I just want to give you two characteristics uh, that made this church a biblical church. And I know as soon as I see them, you're going to say, well, duh. It's just one of those things that's so obvious. But I think sometimes we miss the point of how obvious it is. The first thing is that this, and we see this in verse 31. It says in just the previous passage, And when they had prayed earnestly, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with confidence. One thing I want you to see is before this church could be a biblical church, before this church could be everything that God wanted it to be, they had to be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't happen apart from that. If the Spirit of God is not there, it cannot be what God wants it to be. And it's an amazing thing. It says, and when they had prayed earnestly. You know, it's an amazing thing. One of the things I've been sharing in some of our smaller groups here lately is that God has really pressed upon my heart the need to pray more. And as I've been reading more about this and learning to pray more and take everything to God in prayer, one thing I was reminded of, that Jim Simbola said in one of his messages, he says, I will make my house a house of what? Prayer. He didn't say I was going to make it a house of preaching. Good thing, right? He didn't say I was going to make it a house of great music. Although I enjoy our worship team. He did not say I was going to make it a place of great fellowship so everybody just loves each other. He didn't say any of that. All those things are important, but that's not what Jesus Christ said. He said, I will make my house a house of prayer. And as I said a couple weeks ago, why do we get so angry that we've kicked prayer out of the public schools? We've kicked it out of churches. I'm not saying that we as individuals, as part of the body of Christ, aren't praying. What I'm saying, we're not praying together corporately as we ought. 
I think there ought to be a time when we are coming together and praying together for one another in the body of Christ. And that's one of the things I really want to work on in these upcoming months, is us praying more together. Some of y'all would really be flipped out if you saw the Nepali church pray. I'm just telling you. Because when the pastor says let's pray, everybody just starts praying. you got a hundred people in this room right here praying all out loud to themselves and just praying. Some of you walk in and say, well, they're speaking in tongues. No, they're not. They're speaking in a foreign tongue. They're in a Nepali language, but they're not speaking in tongues. They are simply praying. And they're praying for each other, and they're praying for everybody in the room, and they're lifting up each other before God. Some of you say, well, I just don't pray in front of other people. That's more private to me. Come on, get a life. Yeah, I, I just don't see that in the early church, that they were just like, oh, sorry, i got to go to my closet, forgive me. Like you have a prayer closet. Come on, let's be honest. Some of you do, I understand. But you're the rarity. I'm just going to go out on a limb and kind of make that assumption. We need to be praying. You see the result of prayer. It says, and when they had prayed, what's the word? Earnestly. In other words, it wasn't the 10 second, Lord, bless his food. Thank you. Amen. Lord, it was, thank you for this day. Give me a good one. Bye. <laughs> yeah, some of you pray like that. It was an earnest prayer. I don't think it has to be a, Lord Jesus, we thank Thee for this day. We bow our head before Thee, Lord. God, God doesn't speak in these and thous. He doesn't speak in your particular language. He speaks in every language. He's right here with us. And so often we, we throw the Hail Marys when we're in trouble and we find ourselves in under a load of burden and a load of care, but what about just, God, thank You for this day. Thank You for loving me this day. Thank You for another day of life and breath. Thank You, God, for this car gets me from point A to point B and I have to walk. Lord, thank You for the covers I slept underneath last night. Thank You for the bed that was so comfortable. Thank You for the food that I ate, for the coffee that got me going this morning. Do we really thank God for all these things? Or do we just... Throw the Hail Marys when things aren't quite what we think they should be. It says, and when they had prayed earnestly, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They sensed the Spirit at work. And it's not until you pray and submit yourselves to God daily and to be filled with the Spirit and His Word can you sense the Spirit at work in our lives. And because of that, number one, they were filled with the Spirit. And history tells us, and if we read through the pages of Scripture, the church had grown from 120 to over 5,000. And this can only happen when God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in obedience. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? God just bringing to the church, as it said in Acts 2, 41 to 47, daily, such as we're being saved. And I don't think it all happened inside one big room because that's the church was just so big. It had such a big building that they all gathered there and that's where it all happened. Because the church is who? Me and you. We're the church. And so the church was being added to daily, and the church was going up to Wegmans. The church is going up to Sunoco. We don't go to Valero, Paul says, because that's Venezuelan. We don't go there. But we go, we go to certain gas stations and certain restaurants and certain... That's where the church goes. If you're part of the church, the church is going out into the public... And the church should be a witness and a testimony of Jesus Christ. It says they were shaken, filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit gave them confidence as they spoke. 
You want confidence? Be filled with the Spirit. You don't want to be shy and timid? Be filled with the Spirit. The bottom line is either God's Word is a lie or it's true. And the example I see is that when they were filled, they had confidence. So it's not about, once again, your abilities or the lack thereof. It's not about your skills or the lack thereof. It's not about how talented you are or the lack thereof. It really, truly is about being filled with the Spirit and letting God speak through you. We see that all throughout Scripture. So the first characteristics of the church being the church is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, you say, well, this is another one, duh. They were saved. They were believers. I'm convinced, and I know there have been great preachers of the past, and yesteryear and hundreds of years ago say that, oh, only 5% of the church is saved. Only 10% of the church is truly saved. I don't know what the percentage is. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But I do believe this. If I believed more of the church was truly born-again believers who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, their church, our church would be different. See, I think people come to church every week that don't know Jesus. I believe that. See, in our church, yeah, I do believe that. Because if it wasn't the case, there'd be a different atmosphere sometimes. I just believe that. I don't know who. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know who he saved. And who's, I, the only person I know truly 1,000% is saved is me. Because I, I had that experience with Jesus Christ. And maybe you are the only one that you know is saved. But I have to believe that there are people who attend churches all across America every week that truly don't know Jesus. They know a lot about Jesus. They know a lot of facts. They've memorized verses. They've heard stories. But yet they truly don't know him. Do you think Jesus believed that? Yeah, because Jesus said, one day, you're going to stand before me, he's going to say, I depart from me, for I never... Yeah, Jesus even believed that. Good thing I'm not Jesus, though, because I don't know. He does. But I have to believe that even every week as we come to church, there are some of you that contemplate, am I truly saved? Do I truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Has Jesus Christ changed the way I live, the way I think, the way I talk, the way I move around other people? Because if He has, things should be different. And I know this because it says in verse 32, in the congregation of those who believed. Now, when there's true believers and the Holy Spirit is present, you begin to see other things that happen. So let's see uh, three characteristics of the church. Number one, they were of one heart and one soul. Isn't that amazing? I promise you, I've lived long enough to know that there are churches that have split over the color of walls on the wall, the color of paint on the walls, and the color of carpet on the floors. It has happened, I promise you. We used to joke about it, but it is so true. Go down south in some of these small towns. There'll be eight churches in a town of a thousand people. New beginnings, fresh start Baptists. Not kidding you. Those are the names. They're all splits off each other. Because so-and-so got mad at such-and-such and and they went across the street and someone donated that land and we're going to start a new one. Because these people are idiots. They just treat each other like that. One small town, eight churches. All related. Because somebody didn't like what somebody else did. They were one heart, one soul. In other words, they had great unity. There was harmony. In this context, the Bible is referring to their emotions, their reasoning, and their emotion, and their uh, rational. 
rationale. It's not necessarily the idea of what we might think of is that we all just have the same great... I mean, we, everybody in the entire congregation loves Ford. And that, wouldn't that be a miracle, Brian? Everybody loves Ford. We're all of the same mind. Well, Brian says, well, that's not of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you that right now. But it's not like that. It wasn't that they all just, like, we all like shrimp over fish. We all like the color blue over the color purple. None of that. It's referring to their emotional state. It's referring to the rationale of how they did things. It's referring to their, to their everything in the context about them thinking and agreeing with each other in harmony. One heart, one soul. They were all affected by the Spirit working within them. Number two, they were selfless with their possessions. Isn't that amazing? I, I, this is one area I will say, you guys are wonderful. I look back over the last 11 and a half years that I've been here. I can honestly say that you guys have been very generous in many, in many different points. You've helped people buy cars. You've helped people after fires. You've helped people after surgeries and sicknesses and illnesses. You've helped people with projects. That's the church being the church. It's not like, well, I've got a 401k that is just sitting there right hefty and nice right now. It's not about, I, got, I, have this, I have this checking account that is just fat and I like it like that. The idea is that if there's a legitimate need, we're going to help each other. That's what the church should be. I feel sorry for someone who doesn't have a church family. I really do. How do you go through it with, you know, I, I've had over the years, I've had different people tell me, well, I don't need a church. I mean, I can get everything I get. That guy on TV, have you heard him preach? He's phenomenal. And I say, yes, he is. That guy on TV can preach like no one's business. He's a phenomenal. I mean, he's got degrees on top of degrees. He can he got communication skills. He is phenomenal. He, I wish I could speak a tenth as good as he could. And I just ask this question. Is that preacher going to be there when your grandchild dies? When you're in the hospital with cancer dying? Are they going to marry your kids? <laughs> they don't have a clue who you are. But they like your gift that you send in everywhere. I'm just telling you, you need a local church. The world needs a local church. They need the camaraderie, the encouragement, the inspiration, the accountability of each other in the body of Christ. They just don't always know it. But I'm telling you, I love the church. I love that, the fact that we can go through life together. Hurts together. Frustrations together. I'm, 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 I'm ecstatic. I've watched all these little kids grow up. Eleven and a half years, I've seen all these little runs for, that were just babies. Now they're running around, stopping by, getting candy. I got their quotes on my wall. What was that one quote? Fantastical? Fantastical! I love the little kids. Actually nailed that one, he says. Got that quote on my wall. Bottom line is, we need each other. The, we, each other gives us joy. Yes, some frustration. But that's the church. And when the church acts like the church, there is one heart, one soul. They were selfless with their possessions. And you know really what caused... <laughs> practically, this is an, a, an amazing display of authentic love for one another. In fact, 
John 13.35 says, By this will all know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You want to show the world that you're real, that you're legit, that you're an authentic follower of Christ? Show love rather than hatefulness. Hatefulness is all around us. You know, it doesn't cost you one red cent to be kind. It doesn't. In fact, you might open a good door of conversation by being kind once in a while. I love it when the police officers come through our parking lot. They'll come up, they'll just hang out, they'll do their paperwork in the back. Every once in a while they'll come up and say, hey Ken, I'm like, in my mind I'm thinking, do I know you? Then my name's on a sign. I don't know. So, you must be Ken. Yeah, I'm Ken. But we talk. And, uh, you know, we built some relationships with some of them. You know, uh, last week I, uh, you ought to know I collect knives. I love knives. I got a cool knife that I just got. It had red, white, and blue flag on it. Bought it when I was down in Texas. So cool. And uh, I got to talking with a police officer out here one day, and he goes, man, it's been a long day. I said, I said really? He said, there's a lot of people doing stupid stuff. He goes, every day. He goes, I got a stack of paperwork like this. And I'm like, well, have at it. And, you know, anything you need? No, I'm good. Just a few minutes underneath your carport, out of the rain's good. And I thought to myself, going to go next door. Ran over and got my knife collection out, pulled out the red, white, and blue one I just got. That was so cool. And I went back over and I said, hey, check this one out. He opens up the box and sees it, and he goes, that is super cool. I said, no, that one's for you. He goes, no, I can't take it. I said, no, that's for you. I said, you know what, I just appreciate what you do. I said, you keep us safe, you work hard, you put long hours in. I said, I'm just thankful for what you do. And he kind of just looks at me and goes, why would you give me this? He goes, this is so cool. I said, just thankful for you. I don't know where that will go. I don't have any idea if it will ever come back into as anything. Don't really care. I didn't do it for that. We do it to build relationships and encourage people. Just be kind. Show love. Do something nice for somebody. Instead of making life about you and what you want. Because it's not about my will. It's about thy will. Take the time to go out of your way and be kind. By this will all men know that you're my disciples by your love. John 17, 21 says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me by your love for one another. And here's the third result of this church. So we see in our text here, they had all things common. They were of one heart, one soul. And number three, they had no needs. Look at verse 34 and 35. It says, for there was not a needy person among them. That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty... How many think that's a bold statement in the body of Christ? There was not a need among them. Wow. We're not quite there yet. I know that there are some needs out here as I'm looking around. I know that there are some needs. But I have to wonder. It says, For there was not a needy person among them. For all who are owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. They were just willing to help one another out. I think sometimes we stockpile. We stockpile for a purpose, right? I mean, we stockpile for 30, 40 years, hoping that when we retire that there'll be something there to retire with. I mean, that's the hope, that's the goal, right? I mean, we want to be able to live when we can't work any longer or when we feel like we can't work any longer. 
or we just want to enjoy the last few years that God gives, gives us whatever, we stockpile. But I think in many of us, there's a switch that's flipped. We go from trusting in God in those younger years to where we just don't have enough and we're trusting God to meet all the needs to now we can look back and say, well, look, at, look what I've accumulated. And the problem with that is if we're not careful, we don't trust God anymore. We trust what we've accomplished. Be careful. Because God can wipe that out in two seconds. We still have to trust God. And sometimes that means a sacrifice because someone else has a need and now you're willing to help them and to be the church. But we also see characteristics of the apostles here. In verse 33 of our text, he says this, And with great power the apostles were bearing witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. So first of all, they had great power in their witness. Once again, as a result of the Holy Spirit working in and through them. I don't know about you, but I'm not an apostle. I'm a disciple of Christ, like all of you are, if you know Jesus. You should be disciples of Christ, right? Um, I don't believe that there are apostles today. I believe that I'm a disciple of Christ. But here's the thing. I would love for it to be said, and for my reputation to be, that God's power is upon him as he preached. And I, I would hope that you'd want that, and as you speak with confidence too, to your unsaved neighbors, friends, co-workers, loved ones, relatives, whatever. They have great power in their witness. Why? Because it's not about me. It's all about Him. It's all about reflecting Jesus Christ in what we say and do. And then we also see in verse 33, it says, Great grace was upon them. Grace. Not just grace, but great grace. Wow. Acts 2.47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. They were unified. They had a harmony. God's grace was upon them. And then number three, they had a sacrificial spirit about them. One in particular shares this particular testimony. It says, now Joseph, a Cyprian by birth, who also is called Barnabas by the apostles, was translated to mean sons of encouragement, who owned a field, sold it, and bought it, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There was one who had a sacrificial spirit about him. Are we willing to sacrifice for each other? I think there's times that we've done really good at that, and then times that we've missed an opportunity to see God work. I want to close with this. This from Johnny Hunt um, on his commentary on uh, about the church here in X4. He gives three categories, but number one, he said they were sacrificial, sharing, and surrendered. I like that word sacrificial. It has the idea of I don't have to have my way. And if I have something, I'm willing to surrender it. But he says of this church, they were sacrificial, then they were sharing, and they were surrendered. And the only way you can be sacrificial sharing is to be surrendered. This is the question I have for all of us is, are we surrendered to the cause of Christ? Are we surrendered to the, to the cause of God? Number two, he says, it's about stewardship, not ownership. It's about need, not creed. And it's about family, not fad. Let me break those down. Stewardship versus ownership. You see, if we have the idea that everything that we have, everything that we own, everything that we possess is God's, it truly is about stewardship. How does God want me to steward the things that he's entrusted to me? Are you a good steward of what God has entrusted to you? Because it's his, right? Because everything we own is his. We say that, but then do we also act like that in everyday life? Is that, or is what I have mine? He says it's about stewardship, not ownership. 
It's not mine. I'm just a steward of what He's entrusted to me. Number two, not about need, but creed. It's not about the idea of I want to get more, 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 more. I need this. I need that. It's more about this, this creed that I have between me and God is that it's His. It's about family, not fad. It's about the family. All of us being part of the family of God. Not a fad. Get the next latest, greatest. Any gadget people? I love gadgets. I mean, I do. I like the fastest computers. I don't have it, but I like it. I want it. Uh, I like I like nice vehicles. I mean, we all do, right? We we like we like things. But the the latest latest fads aren't going to get you anywhere. As soon as that fastest computer comes out, guess what? Next month, there's a better processor, a faster one. I mean, can you imagine? How many? I, I remember being in college. I had an 8088. Some of you are old enough to know what that is. I had a 20 megabyte hard drive. It was the cat's meow. Some of you don't even know what 8088 is. It was a step up from my Atari 800 XL, I'll tell you that. But as soon as you buy a computer, I mean within days, there's a faster processor, better graphic card, bigger hard drive. I mean, can you imagine one terabyte? I got, I got, I got a, a terabyte thumb drive that's like smaller than a penny in width. It's crazy. It's a terabyte. It's a fad. The latest, greatest. It's not about fads. It's about our family. What does our family need? And then number three, I like the last category. He said, this church was united, it was unselfish, and it was unafraid. I love that. United, they had harmony, they had unity. They were unselfish because it wasn't about all this stuff that I have and I could get it and I'm going to get this and that. We're, we're unselfish. Who has legitimate, authentic need? And they were unafraid because they knew that God was with them. That God was going to take care of them. I love these things. Sacrificial, sharing, surrendered. United and selfish, unafraid. It's about stewardship, not ownership. It's about need, not creed. Not about family, about, or about family, not fad. When you start looking at all these things, this is a church that I want to be a part of. I love that. I, I pray that God would do that in our setting. Right? Amen? So... I don't know about you, but I know that I, I know that God is real. I know that He's alive. I know that He's His presence is here. And what He wants from us is to be surrendered to Him and be filled with the Spirit, because it's only then that He can do the things that He wants to do in and through us. As long as we're holding back, as long as we're holding on, as long as we're unwilling, forget about seeing God at work. It takes commitment and surrender and obedience. But when you start looking at all these things that, man, they had one heart, one soul. They were selfless with their possessions. They were unified. They were no needs among them. That's amazing. I want that to be our church. Amen? I want that to be the church that God blesses. Lord, I pray that You would work in our hearts. And Lord, that we would truly be surrendered. That we would truly, Lord, as Your Word shows us in Acts 4.32, is that they were truly believers. And they were filled with the Spirit. It's only as 
those two things are real and true, that everything else began to happen. So, Lord, I pray that in our midst, in this local assembly, Lord, that we would truly be believers, people who truly have put our faith and our trust in you, and it's changed the way we live, the way we think, the way we act. And, Lord, that we would be filled with the Spirit, Lord, so that we can see your Spirit working in and through us to accomplish great things for your glory. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just ask each of us to bow our heads in prayer just for a moment as we come to the end of the service. But maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I don't know if I truly am a believer. If I were to die today, I don't know that I am truly saved. I don't know that I truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know that I would spend eternity in heaven. I don't know that. But I'm concerned. Listen, I will never embarrass you. I'll never call you out. I'll never point you out to anybody. But you say, Pastor, I'm concerned. I would love to pray for you. If you'll just look up at me or raise your hand and catch my eye, I will not embarrass you, but just simply pray for you. Anyone like that this morning? As I'm looking around, anybody? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else say, Pastor, I'm concerned. I don't know that I know Jesus. I don't have that certainty, but I'm concerned. Anyone else, pray for me. Thank you for those of you who are honest. I appreciate that. Just for a moment, can I simply say it's a simple prayer of faith, putting your faith in Jesus. It's a simple time to pray. And if you'd like to pray, I can lead you in that prayer. My prayer will not save you. It cannot save you. But if you're concerned and you want to pray today to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can repeat these words and put your faith and your trust in Jesus. It's a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe you took my sin away. And I ask you to forgive me. I call on you to be my Savior. I put my faith and trust in you and ask you to save me. Maybe you're here this morning and you said, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. Anyone like that this morning? Thank you. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer this morning. Can I encourage you? That's where it all starts. The simple prayer of faith. Simply putting your trust in Jesus and no one else. And by doing so, he says, you can spend eternity in heaven with me, a relationship with him, a simple prayer of faith. So for the rest of us, maybe you're struggling with allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. Maybe you know Jesus. But you say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, I haven't had the presence of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus working in through me of late. Maybe there's selfishness, maybe there's sin, maybe there's something else that's impeding, but you say, Pastor, if I'm honest, I haven't sensed the present working, the presence of the Spirit working in my life. But I want that. And there's some things I need to do. Pray for me. Anyone like that? Yes. Can I challenge you? Right here where you're at, say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse my heart. Fill me with your presence. And get God's word and pray so that he can fill you. So so that each of us can be the church that God wants us and has called us to be. 
Let's all stand to our feet as we close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for how you work in hearts and our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you for being real to us. Lord Jesus, thank you for not giving up on us when we fail you. Lord, thank you for one who's acknowledged that they needed you as their Savior and prayed that prayer. Thank you, Lord, for how you work in our lives. Lord God, we need you desperately now more than ever. And I pray, God, that you continue to work in our hearts and our lives, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.